Hey everyone, hope everyone's having a great week thus far. Thank you for joining Bringing Value to You with Brian Quick today. So today I'm going to read you a story. I'm going to read you guys a story today, okay? The book um, that I'm going to read the story from is called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's a wonderful book. If you haven't picked up the book yet, you need to go and pick up this book because it is a wonderful, wonderful book for any person out there who is breathing. <laughs> this book is absolutely wonderful. I've read this book through and through so many times and always will. Today, I'm going to read a little excerpt out of the book about how it pays to know how to purchase knowledge. Okay, it's in the actual chapter of specialized knowledge and how we are generally in our life too wrapped around having general knowledge when we should be more focused on having specialized knowledge okay i'm not hating on the education system or anything like that but i will say the education system does focus more on generalized knowledge versus specialized knowledge and that's, that is one flaw the education system does have in general is that they have they focus too much on this general knowledge and they need to be focusing more on special specialized knowledge for per individual kid but i'm going to go ahead and start reading this uh, to you right now Please listen and absorb every single word because this is so good. Again, this is from Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So here we go. I'm going to dive in. It pays to know how to purchase knowledge. Okay. First of all, decide the sort of specialized knowledge you require and the purpose for which it is needed. To a large extent, your major purpose in life, the goal toward which you are working, will help you determine what knowledge you need. With this question settled, your next move requires that you have accurate information concerning dependable sources of knowledge. The more important of these are A. One's own experience and education B. Experience and education available through cooperation of others, a mastermind C. College and universities D. Public libraries through books and periodicals in which may be found all the knowledge organizations by civilization. In other words, listening to podcasts. Okay, this book was written a little while back. So nowadays we can say listening to podcasts, downloading an audio book, or even ordering a book off Amazon, or heck, go to your library. But all the information that we ever really need to be successful in our lives is already out in civilization. Okay? And then E, special training courses. You could do something um, on the web, online, through night schools, at home study schools in particular, okay? As knowledge is acquired, it must be organized and put into use for a definite purpose through practical plans. Knowledge has no value except that which can be gained from its application towards some worthy end. This is one reason why college degrees are not valued more highly. They represent nothing but miscellaneous knowledge. Mm, let me read that again. This is one reason why college degrees are not valued more highly. Because they represent nothing but miscellaneous knowledge. If you contemplate taking additional schooling, first determine the purpose for which you want the knowledge you are seeking. Then learn where this particular sort of knowledge can be obtained from reliable sources. Successful people in all callings never stop acquiring specialized knowledge related to their major purpose, business, or profession. 
Those who are not successful usually make the mistake of believing that the knowledge acquiring period ends when one finishes school. The truth is that schooling does but little more than to put one in the way of learning how to acquire practical knowledge. With this changed world, which began at the end of the economic collapse, came also outstanding changes in educational requirements. The order of the day is specialization. The truth was emphasized by Robert P. Moore, Secretary of Appointments at Columbia University. Specialist most sought after. Particularly sought after by employing companies are candidates who have specialized in some field business school graduates with training in accounting and statistics, engineers of all varieties, journalists, architects, chemists, and also outstanding leaders and activity men of their senior class. The person who has been active on the campus, whose personality is such that he gets along with all kinds of people and who has done an adequate job with his studies, has a most decided edge over the strictly academic student. One of these, because of their all-around qualifications, have received several offers of positions, a few of them as many as six. In departing from the conception that the straight-A student was invariably the one to get the choice of the better jobs, Mr. Moore said that most companies look at not only to academic records, but to activity records and personalities of the students. One of the largest industrial companies, the leader in its field, in writing to Mr. Moore concerning prospective seniors at the college said, We are interested primarily in finding people who can make exceptional progress in management work. For this reason, we emphasize qualities of character, intelligence, and personality far more than specific educational background. Apprenticeship Proposed Proposing a system of apprenticing students in offices, stores, and industrial occupations during the summer vacation, Mr. Moore asserts that after the first two or three years of college, every student should be asked to choose a definite future course and to call a halt if he has been or he or she has been merely pleasantly drifted without purpose through an unspecialized academic curriculum. Meaning, in other words, guys, if you are in, I'm going to pause from reading, In other words, what he's saying is if you are a junior in college and you still are undecided, you probably need to stop going to school and figure out first what you want to do before you continue your education. Hence, he said, I'll read this again. Mr. Moore asserts that after the first two or three years of college, every student should be asked to choose a definite future course and to call a halt if he has been merely pleasantly drifting without purpose through an unspecialized academic curriculum. Think about that. You're a junior in high school, in college, excuse me, and you don't quite know yet what you want to do, you probably should put a stop to schooling because whatever you're going to do, you're getting yourself in a hole. That's why so many people graduate college and end up in in, in fields in their vacation that have nothing to do with college. Okay? Anyways, to continue what... Mr. Moore is talking about colleges and universities must face the practical consideration that all professions and occupations now demand specialists. He said, urging that educational institutions accept more direct responsibility for vocational guidance. One of the most reliable and practical sources of knowledge available to those who need specialized schooling 
is the night schools operated in most large cities. The correspondent schools give specialized training anywhere the U.S. mills go on all subjects that can be taught by the extension method. One advantage of home study training is the flexibility of the study program, which permits one to study during spare time. Another stupendous advantage of home study training, if the school is carefully chosen, is the fact that the most courses offered by home study schools carry with them the, the, the generous privileges of cons consultation, which can be of priceless value to those needing specialized knowledge. No matter where you live, you can share the benefits. Anything required without effort and without cost is generally unappreciated, often discredited. Perhaps this is why we get so little from our marvelous opportunity in public schools. The self-discipline one receives from a definite program of specialized study makes up some, to some extent for the wasted opportunity when knowledge was available without cost. Correspondent schools are highly organized business institutions. Their tuition fees are so low that they are forced to insist upon prompt payments. Being asked to pay whether the student makes good grades or poor has the effect of causing one to follow through with the course when he would otherwise drop it. The correspondent schools have not stressed this point sufficiently, for the truth is that their collection departments constitute that very finest sort of training on decision, promptness, action, and the habit of finishing that which one begins. I learned this from experience more than 25 years ago. I enrolled for a home study course in advertising. After completing eight or 10 lessons, I stopped studying, but the school did not stop sending me bills. Moreover, it insisted upon payment, whether I kept my, up my studies or not. I decided that if I had to pay for the course, which I had legally obligated myself to do, I should complete the lessons and get my money's worth. I felt at the time that the collection system of the school was somewhat too well organized, but I learned later in life that it was a valuable part of my training for which no charge had been made. Being forced to pay, I went ahead and completed the course. Now, later in life, I discovered that the efficient collection system of that school had been worth much in the form of money earned because of the training and advertising I had so reluctantly taken. We have in this country what is said to be the greatest public school system in the world. We have invested fabulous sums for fine buildings. We have provided convenient transportation for children living in the rural districts so that they may attend the best schools. But there is one astounding weakness to this marvelous system. It's free. One of the strange things about human beings is that they value only that which has a price. The free schools of America and the free public libraries do not impress people because they are free. This is the major reason why so many people find it necessary to acquire additional training after they quit school and go to work. It is also one of the major reasons why employers give greater consideration to employees who have take-home study courses. They have learned from experience that any person who has the ambition to give up a part of his spare time to study at home has in him those qualities which make for leadership. This recognition is not a charitable gesture. It is sound business judgment upon the part of the employers. There is one weakness in people for which there are is really no remedy. It is the universal weakness of lack of ambition. Persons, especially salaried people who schedule their spare time to provide for home study, 
seldom remain at the bottom very long. Their action opens the way for the upward climb, removes many obstacles from their path, and gains the friendly interest of those who have the power to put them in the way of opportunity. Wow, guys, taking a break for a second. It is the universal weakness of lack of ambition. One of the reasons why so many people fail is because of lack of ambition. Mm. Okay, continuing. The home study method of training is especially suited to the needs of employed people who find after leaving school that they must acquire additional specialized knowledge but cannot spare the time to go back to school. The changed economic conditions prevailing since the depression have made it necessary for thousands of people to find additional or new sources of income. For the majority of these, the solution to their problem may be found only by acquiring specialized knowledge. Many will be forced to change their occupations entirely. When a merchant finds that a certain line of merchandise is not selling, he usually supplants it with another that is in demand. The person whose business is that of marketing personal services must also be an efficient merchant. If his services do not bring adequate returns in one occupation, they must change to another where broader opportunities are available. Stuart Austin Ware prepared himself as a construction engineer and followed this line of work until the Depression limited his market to where he did not give him the income he required. He took inventory of himself, decided to change his profession to law, went back to school, and took special courses by which he prepared himself as a corporation lawyer. Despite the fact that the Depression had not ended, he completed his training, passed the bar exam, and quickly built a lucrative law practice in Dallas, Texas. In fact, he was turning away clients. Just to keep the record straight and to anticipate the alibis of those who will say, I couldn't go to school because I have a family to support, or I'm too old, I will add the information that Mr. Weir was past 40 and married when he went back to school. Moreover, by carefully selecting highly specialized courses in college, best prepared to teach the subjects chosen, Mr. Weir completed in two years the work for which the majority of law students require four years. It pays to know how to purchase knowledge. The person who stops studying merely because he has finished school is forever hopelessly doomed to mediocrity. No matter what may be the calling, the way of success is the way of continuous pursuit of knowledge. Let us consider a specific instance. During the Depression, a salesman in a grocery store found himself without a position. Having had some bookkeeping experience, he took a special course in accounting, familiarized himself with all the latest booking, bookkeeping uh, and office equipment, and went into business for himself. Starting with the grocer from whom he had formerly worked, he made contracts with more than 100 small merchants to keep their books at a very nominal monthly fee. His idea was so practical that he soon found it necessary to step up a portable office in the light delivery truck, which he equipped with modern bookkeeping machinery. He now has a fleet of those bookkeeping offices, on wheels, and employs a large staff of assistants, thus providing small merchants with accounting services equal to the best that money can buy at a very nominal cost. You see, specialized knowledge plus imagination were the ingredients that went into this unique and successful business. Last year, the owner of that business paid an income tax of almost 10 times as much as was paid 
by the merchant for whom he worked when the depression forced upon him a temporary adversity which proved to be a blessing in disguise. The beginning of this successful business was an idea. Inasmuch as I had the privilege of supplying the unemployed salesman with that idea, I now assume the further privilege of suggesting another idea which has within its possibility of even greater income. Also, the possibility of rendering useful service to thousands of people who badly need the service. The idea was suggested by the salesman who gave up selling and went into the business of keeping books on a wholesale basis. When the plan was suggested as a solution of his unemployment problem, he quickly exclaimed, I like the idea, but I would not know how to turn it into cash. In other words, he complained he would not know how to market his bookkeeping knowledge after he acquired it. So that brought up another problem, which had been, been solved, had to be solved. With the aid of a young woman's typist, clever at hand lettering, who could who um excuse me, and who could put the story together, a very attractive book was prepared, describing the advantages of the new system of bookkeeping. The pages were nearly typed and pasted in an ordinary scrapbook, which was used as a silent salesman which with with which the story of this new business was so effectively told that its owners soon had more accountants than could handle. There are thousands of people all over the country who need the services of a merchandising specialist capable of preparing an attractive brief for use in marketing personal services. The aggregate annual income for such a service might easily exceed that received by the largest employment agency, and the benefits of the service might be made far greater to the purchaser than to be or any to be ordained from any employment agency. The idea here described was born of a necessity to bridge an emergency which had to be covered, but it, not, but it did not stop by merely serving one person. The woman who created that idea has a keen imagination. She saw her newly born brainchild in the making of a new profession, one that is destined to render valuable services to thousands of people who need practical guidance in marketing personal services. Spurred by action by the instantaneous success of her first prepared plan to market personal services, this energetic woman turned next to the solution of a similar problem for her son who had just finished college but had been totally unable to find a market for his services. That happens a lot, guys. So many people I know have gotten their college degree, graduated, and could not find a job. It's sad. The plan she originated for his use was the finest special uh, specimen of merchandising of personal services I have ever seen. When the plan book had been completed, it, it contained nearly 50 pages of beautifully typed, properly organized information telling the story of her son's native ability, schooling, personal experiences, and a great variety of other information too expensive for description. The plan book also contained a complete description of the position her son desired, together with a marvelous word picture of the exact plan he would use in fulfilling the position. The preparation of this plan book required several weeks' labor, during which time its creator sent her son to the public library almost daily to procure data in needed in selling his services to the best advantage. She sent him also to all the competitors of his prospective employer and gathered from them vital information concerning their business methods, which was of great value in the formation of the plan he intended to use in filling the position he sought. When the plan had been finished, finished, he contained more than half a dozen very fine suggestions from, for the use and benefit of prospecting employer, 
the suggestions were put into use by the company. One may be inclined to ask, why go through all this trouble to secure a job? The answer is straight to the point. Also, it is dramatic because it deals with a subject which assumes the proportion of a tragedy with millions of men and women whose sole source of income is personal services. The answer is, doing a thing well never is trouble. The plan prepared by this woman for the benefit of her son helped him get the job for which he applied at the first interview and a salary fixed by himself. Moreover, in this, too, is important. The position did not require the young man to start at the bottom. He began as a junior executive at an executive salary. Why go through all this trouble, do you ask? Well, for one thing, the planned presentation of this young man's application for a position clipped off no less than 10 years of time he would have required to get where he began. Had he started at the bottom and worked his way up, this idea of starting at the bottom and working one's way up may appear to be sound, but the major objection to this is too many of those who begin at the bottom never manage to lift their heads high enough to be seen by opportunity, so they remain at the bottom. It should be remembered also that the outlook from the bottom is not so very bright or encouraging. It has a tendency to kill off ambition. We call it getting into a rut which means that we accept our fate because we form the habit of daily routine, a habit, that finally, a habit that finally becomes so strong we cease to try to throw it off. And that is another reason why it pays to start one or two steps above the bottom. By, do, by so doing, one forms the habit of looking around, of observing how others get ahead, of seeing opportunity, and of embracing it with, without hesitation. Dan Halpin is a splendid example of what I mean. During his college days, he was a manager of the famous 1930 National Championship Notre Dame football team when it was under the direction of the late Newt Rockney. Perhaps he was inspired by the great football coach to aim high and not mistake temporary defeat for failure, just as Andrew Carnegie, the great industrial leader, inspired his young business lieutenants to set high goals for themselves. At any rate, young Halpin finished college at a mighty unfavorable time when the Depression had made jobs scarce. So. After a fling at investment banking and motion pictures, he took the first opening with a potential future he could find, selling electrical hearing aids on a commission basis. Anyone can start in that sort of job, and Halpin knew it, but it was enough to open the door of opportunity to him. For almost two years, he continued in a job not to his liking, and he would never have risen above that job if he had not done something about his dissatisfaction. He aimed first at the job of assistant sales manager of his company, and got the job. That one step upward placed him high, high enough above the crowd to enable him to see still greater opportunity. Also, it placed him where opportunity could see him. He made such a fine record selling hearing aids that A.M. Andrews, chairman of the board of the Dictograph Products Company, a business com competitor of the company for which Halpin worked, wanted to know something about the man Dan Halper, who was taking big sales away from the long-established Dictograph Company. He sent for Halpert. When the interview was over, Halpert was the new sales manager in charge of the Acousticon division. Then, to test young Halpin's mettle, Mr. Andrews went away for Florida for three months, leaving him to sink or swim in his new job. He did not sink. Newt Rockin's spirit of all the world loves a winner and has no time for a loser inspired him to put so much into his job that he was recently elected vice president of the company and general manager of the Acousticon and Silent Radio Division, 
a job which most men would be proud to earn through 10 years of little effort. Halpern turned the trick into a little more than six months. It is difficult to say whether Mr. Andrews or Mr. Halpin is more deserving of eulogy for the reason that both showed evidence of having an abundance of, of that very rare quality known as imagination. Mr. Andrews deserves credit for seeing, in young Halpert, a go-getter of the highest order. Halpert deserves credit for refusing to compromise with life by accepting and keeping a job he did not want. And that is one of the major points I am trying to emphasize through this entire philosophy, that we rise to higher positions or remain at the bottom because of the condition we can control if we desire to control them. I am also trying to emphasize another point, namely that both success and failure are largely the results of habit. I have not the slightest doubt that Dan Halpin's close association with the greatest football coach America ever knew planted in his mind the name brand of desire to excel which made the Notre Dame football team world famous. Truly, there is something into the idea that hero worship is helpful provided one worships a winner. Halpert tells me that Rockne was one of the world's greatest leaders of men of all history. My belief in the theory that business associations are vital factors, both in failure and in success, was recently demonstrated when my son Blair was negotiating with Dan Halpert for a position. Mr. Halpert offered him a beginning salary of about one half what he could have gotten from a rival company. I brought parental pressure to bear and induced him to accept the place with Mr. Halpert because I believe that close association with one who refuses to compromise with circumstances he does not like is an asset that can never be measured in terms of money. The bottom is a monotonous, dreary, unprofitable place for any person. That is why I have taken the time to describe how lowly beginnings may be circumvented by proper planning. Also, that is why so much space has been devoted to a description of this new profession, created by a woman who was inspired to do a fine job of planning because she wanted her son to have a favorable break. With the change conditions un un ushered in by the world economic collapse came also the need for new and better ways of marketing personal services. It is hard to determine why some someone had not previously discovered this stupendous need in view of the fact that more money changes hand in return for personal services than for, than for any other pur purpose. The sum paid out monthly to people who work for wages and salaries is so huge that it runs into hundreds of millions and the annual distribution amounts to billions. Perhaps some will find in the idea here briefly described that the nucleus of the riches may be they desire. Ideas with much less merit have been the seedlings from which great fortunes have grown. Woolworth's 5 and 10 cent store idea, for example, had far less merit, but it piled up a fortune for its creator. Those seeing opportunity lurking in the suggestion will find valuable aid in the chapter on organized planning. Incidentally, an efficient merchandiser of personal services would find a growing demand for his services wherever there are men and women who seek better markets for their services. By applying the mastermind principle, a few, a few people with suitable talent could form an alliance and have a paying business very quickly. One would need to be a fair writer with a flair for advertising and selling, one handy at typing and hand lettering, and one should be a first-class business getter who would let the world know how, about the service. If one person possessed all these abilities, he might carry on the business alone until it outgrew him. 
The woman who prepared the personal service sales plan for her son now receives requests from all parts of the country for her cooperation in preparing similar plans for others who desire to market their personal services for money. She has a staff of expert typists, artists, and writers who have the ability to dramatize the case history so effectively that one's personal service can be marketed for much more money than the prevailing wages for similar services. She is so confident of her ability that she accepts, as the major portion of her fee, a percentage of the increases paid she helps her clients to earn. It must not be supposed that her plan merely consists of clever salesmanship by which she helps men and women to demand and receive more money for the, some, for the same services they formerly sold for less pay. She looks after the interest of the purchaser as well as the seller of, her, of personal service, and, she so, and so prepares her plans that the employer receives full value from the additional money he pays. The method by which she accomplishes this astonishing result is is a professional secret which she discloses to no one except her own clients. If you have the imagination and seek a more profitable outlet for your personal services, this suggestion may be the stimulus for which you have been searching. The idea is capable of yielding an income far greater than that of the average doctor, lawyer, or engineer whose education required several years in college. The idea is sellable to those seeking new positions, and practically all positions calling for managerial or executive abilities and those desiring the rearrangement of incomes in their present positions. There is no fixed price for sound ideas. Back of all ideas is specialized knowledge. Unfortunately, for those who do not find riches in abundance, specialized knowledge is more abundant and more easily acquired than ideas. Because of this very truth, there is a universal demand and an ever-increasing opportunity for the persons capable of helping people to, to sell their personal services adventurously. Compatibility means imagination, the one quality needed to combine specialized knowledge with ideas in the form of organized plans designed to yield riches. If you have imagination, this chapter may present you with an idea sufficient to serve as the beginning of the riches you desire. Remember, the idea is the main thing. Specialized knowledge may be found just around the corner, any corner. So guys, that is... A great little part of the book, Think and Grow Rich. Um, I hope you uh, learned a lot from that today. Sometimes I read a little fast. I apologize for that. Um, if you want to go back and listen to this, or you could actually turn down the speed, um, usually on the podcast that you're listening to. So if you need to do that, do that, because the information is so good in absorbing that. Guys, an idea is all you need, all you need in order to be able to start something wonderful. Specialized knowledge and action and desire come behind that. But first, you have to have the idea. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. I'm so, I'm so thankful for you guys. I'm so thankful that you listen. I'm so thankful that uh, for all of you who have rated and reviewed and shared this podcast. If you haven't done any of those things, I would be so honored if you would rate and review this podcast and even share it. It helps so much get the word out and it helps so much move the movement of this podcast and all the information and all the goods that come with the podcast to other people. Hey guys, I want you to have a great rest of your week. I'll see you next week. See you later.